the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Seven minutes after four o'clock is the time. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blind is producing. This has been a tough week for a number of reasons. Today we're going to focus on the lighter side of the news. Later in the program we might mention a few of the headlines, but do want to look away for a few minutes and just uh, enjoy a little uh, levity if we can. Uh, Clark, how's your week going? He usually eats his lunch during this time, so I kind of like to disrupt the chewing to see how he's going to handle it. Uh, Clark, how, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. What are you having for lunch? Well, as you can see right here, it's a plate of celery and carrots. Pretty much a full plate. You have that every day. I've had some chicken earlier. And carrots. And uh, noodles. Yeah. Um, Yes, I do. That's good fiber. That's very good fiber. I've rediscovered celery because you have it every day, and it reminds me, I like celery. Oh, you do? Yeah, I do. I just don't think about it. I'm about the only one in the house who does. Yeah. So do you cut it up at the beginning of the week and you just have enough for the week? God or do you bless do it every my day? wife. She cuts it all up for me. Yeah, that's nice. That's the only yeah. thing about vegetables. You have to cut them up and that's kind of a you thankless know, job. I, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, there's a correlation between how many vegetables we eat and how difficult it is to actually uh, do the work of preparing yeah. them. Yeah. I've seen people, and I've tried this myself, who do all the vegetables, say, on a Sunday night, and then it's ready for the whole yep, week. Yeah, that's what my wife does. She does that on Saturdays. Yeah, it's a good idea. I just am not consistent at it. Well, I wanted to mention that I got a letter from the Publishers Clearinghouse. Did you hear from them this year, Clark? Well, I remember that you had uh, turned in a letter and you got something back a week or so ago. Did you? Yes, I I got the initial fat envelope right, and I right. you know pasted and cut and read that and put that here. And then uh, a week or so later, I got the second bigger envelope with more frivolous stuff to do. Okay. And I also sent that in. Oh, okay. But then that's been followed up by a letter that I think actually came after the second big envelope. And I was just hoping there's not a third one to come because I'm I'm already exhausted with the whole thing. But if, you know, if I'm winning $5,000 um, a week for life, I suppose it's worth the effort. Uh, this is yeah, Debbie- Stop complaining. If yeah, you're winning exactly. 5000 a week for life. It's worth the effort. Uh, this letter is dated February 1st. Uh, it's addressed to me personally, not Dan and Georgine. It's Dan or it's uh, Georgine Rise. Not everyone will receive this message, it says. The fact that you didn't receive it confirms that. Mm. It's a special alert being sent to past sweepstakes participants, and you are one of them. Now, I don't remember ever having done this before. I think this is the first time, but I think this is just in response to what I did. Make sure you send back your entry form, the bulletin you'll be receiving in just days. Well, I'd already received it and mailed it in. Why, they say? Because... With an incredible amount of money at stake, you won't want to miss out on any of your chances to win the forever prize of $5,000 a week. Now, they know nothing about forever, finite, mortal, all of that. Anyway, $5,000 a week for life, plus after that, $5,000 a week for the 
Life of a Loved One, which must be awarded on February 23rd, which is coming up. That's uh, next week. When Mm. we take a look on drawing day to see if a matching winning number was returned, it would be a shame if it went unclaimed. Someone like you, apparently they know me well, someone like me personally has recently entered and clearly wants to win, should not risk letting that happen um, to your new prize number, because I've been awarded a new prize number. To encourage your prompt response, we've assigned not one, not two, but three bonus prize numbers to the specially designated bulletin that you'll receive within the next two days. Oh, I'd already received you it. You are living and large. And apparently, I'm the only one that got this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the average person only got one or two. Me, I got three uh, bonus prize numbers. Um, and your numbers will become fully valid to win when you send back your entry. So I am fully validated. I feel actualized. I'm validated by the Publishers Clearinghouse. Who knows when my prize might come? Uh, I, in fact, I'm making sure the front door is, uh, the porch is swept. There are no cobwebs in the light overhead so that when they come with that big check, they won't stumble. There won't be any confusion about where to enter in. And then they conclude, remember, you are one of the people, me personally, I am one of the people selected to receive this letter. And I'm sure only, you know, two, three of these letters went out apparently. So make the most of it by responding in a timely manner with the prize funds guaranteed. What prize funds guaranteed and ready to be awarded now, that sounds to me like I'm a shoe-in. The prize funds are guaranteed. Woohoo! And I am ready to be awarded. Uh, this could be the lucky break you and your loved ones are hoping for. Keeping fingers crossed, Executive Vice President Deborah Holland. Oh, there's a P.S. We'll be watching for every response from recipients from this notice. Will yours be there? Well, I'm happy to announce that my response has already been mailed back and as the line says the prize funds guaranteed and ready to be awarded it's just a matter of time um in fact i'm thinking maybe i should go home early on the 23rd just in case what if they come during the day and i'm still here doing the show well it's a friday you won't really want to be here anyway right the 23rd that's friday that's next week well my mom would be home though she lives with us she'll be home she can't uh, be the one to answer when they have the balloons and everything you sure yeah, it has you to can't be have you. a surrogate. Oh dear! What if they come and I'm not there? Maybe I should work from home. Take the day off. <laughs> Just, Just take, take the twenty third off. off. Yeah, well, that might be worth. Considering. I don't. I don't think Justin would mind at all. Say, hey, I'm winning the Publishers Clearinghouse today. I need to stay home. So I should just be, and you better get used to it because I'll be staying <laughs> home every day after this. Working. Yeah, I'm going to buy all the equipment that I need and just set it up at my house. And uh, work from yeah, home. Yeah, th- that's exactly what I see. $5,000 uh, a week for the rest of your life. I'm guessing we never see you again. <laughs> I'll send a postcard. Gonna, there's not going to be any buying of equipment to do the show at your house. You're not going to be getting out of your jammies until Feb- uh, <laughs> and you you know, know March or something. They're going to be good pajamas. They're not going to be the kind that have birds and coffee cups and little smiling. They're going to be adult women pajamas that don't have any frivolous images on them. And they're going to fit right. And I'm going to have lots and lots of them. All right. Okay, I think I've said enough. Anyway, I'm um, for you. the Publishers Clearinghouse just wanted to give you a heads up. That's going to be awarded on the 23rd. I'll have to decide what to do. Um, I, I might call because uh, apparently Deborah Holland, the executive vice president, knows me personally and has uh, written this note. In fact, it's signed by her. Um, I can ask her, can my prize be accepted by a surrogate? And if not, then we'll, uh, we'll discuss Friday. I'll tell you what. I'll take Friday off, and I'll go to your house and wait. How mm-hmm. about that? I think not. I would be happy to sign over that check to you. <laughs> would you really? With the agreement that you would be the recipient of the $5,000 a week that follows. 
because I get to pick someone else that that would go to. I'm thinking I'm going to pick the youngest oh. member of my extended family so that it would go on for such a long time that, you know, a little everybody could get a little something. Well, uh, my little nephew just I'd, turned I'd, I'd uh, li- two. I'd like a little something. Oh, no, I've already told you. I plan on seeing, too, that you get uh, you'll get a little something. <laughs> It'll be little <laughs> and it will be something. <laughs> That's all you get. <laughs> but you will get a little something. Lovely. As little as I think of. I think think I'm going to be cheated out of something that's not mine. (laughs) Pretty much. Greeting card or something. (laughs) 15 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on what we hope will be a fun Friday afternoon. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 20 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Now, we missed our, our Valentine's Day special, so I appreciate the music. Sort of an homage yeah, to the now past. It, it really wasn't occasion. appropriate to run that during the uh, India Partners Radiothon. No, that would yeah. not have been a good fit. I, no. I agree. Um, well, it doesn't, um, doesn't get any weirder than Las Vegas. Uh, just oh, are we not going to a... talk about you winning more money? And stuff? I thought we were going to do a no, whole I, show I about really, that. I don't really want to brag about it. Well, you just spent 10 minutes doing just that. Yeah, that I, I think I've exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one time, once I'm wealthy, you and I won't be talking at all. So I think I've, I've probably said enough about that well, for the time all being. All right. All right. I'll be eagerly awaiting the results of next <laughs> Friday, though. Well, you, you heard the letter. I'm already, uh, I've been singled out. Well, Las Vegas, just in time for Valentine's Day, which, of course, was Wednesday, arriving passengers to the McCarran uh, airport in uh, in Las Vegas uh, could apply for a marriage license as they were waiting to get their bags from the carousel. So kind of making things more official uh, or efficient, the Clark County Marriage License Bureau set up a temporary kiosk in the baggage terminal for would-be husbands and wives to obtain their marriage certificate while they wait or collect their bags. Clark County is the wedding capital of the world, issuing the most marriage licenses throughout the year in the United States, amounting to about 80,000 a year on average. Um, Uh, We issue more licenses in the day leading up to Valentine's Day than we do throughout the year. With Valentine's Day being on a Wednesday this year, we're not expecting to be uh, as big as it was in other years, says the marriage services supervisor for the county. So far, however, almost 200 licenses have been issued. Now, this was before Valentine's Day, and the day before Valentine's Day is the big day for them. Um, she says that not uh, not to be confused with the actual wedding ceremony. Now vows will uh, be said at the uh, rather no vows will be said at the actual airport. Only the license itself will be issued. Uh, she says there were some misconceptions about that uh, particular detail. I mean, who wants to get married in the airport? Of course, I would add to that who would want to get married in Las Vegas. But that's a whole nother subject. Um, one couple uh, signed the, the license at the time the story was uh, uh, was published. Christy Estrada and Hector Castaneda from Bishop, Texas, had come across the outpost as they were retrieving their luggage. We were just walking. We were going to get a taxi, and we saw the sign. It saved us a lot of time uh, so that they could go and gamble, which is, I guess, what people do when they go to Las Vegas. Generally speaking, The marriage is uh, more thought through than that. Uh, They're planning to get married at a chapel at Haraz with 12 members of their family and friends attending. There was also a cardboard cutout of a couple beckoning real couples to come apply for the marriage licenses. Uh, Cook described some of the couples uh, that used the quick hitch service. We had a very interesting couple that came from Texas that were um, on an 11-hour layover, and they said, oh, we're just here to go zip, uh, zip lining, and we're going to get married while we're here. So a quick zip line, marriage ceremony, 
back on a plane. Licenses there cost $77, according to Ms. Cook. Um, 2018 has uh, many noticeable, uh, notable days for couples looking to uh, tie the knot. Those include the day of the royal wedding between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Uh, on May the 19th, August the 18th, because the uh, wedding certificate will read 81818. Um, and uh, I guess that's it. Those are the other two days that are pretty popular in Las Vegas for getting married. You know, I'm not interested in gambling, but uh, I've been told by many people that Vegas, you don't have to just go there for that anymore. That it's quite the uh, interesting, fun-filled entertainment spectacle. And you know, neither Lisa and I have ever managed to work up the excitement to ever go and explore that for ourselves. Well, my brother-in-law moved to Vegas. Oh, that's right. He's been in the Air Force, and there's a base there, so his family lives there. And Dan and I, it's been a couple of years ago, I think, um, we went That's the and house visited. with the dog, right? Yes, the big, ferocious, mm-hmm. scary pit bull dog, which I'm having flashbacks as you mention it. Um, anyway, so we went there and stayed for a week. We really didn't spend much time on the Strip. I think we walked through once just to see it. See it. And then the tallest building there has a ride on the top. And yeah. you sit facing outward at the the top of the building and then... Um, it shoots you up, and because of the way the thing is configured, you can't see the ground beneath you. You can't see, you know, where you're stopping. It's as if you are literally launching off the top of this building. And I can't remember how many stories, but it's very high, and it, it was terrifying. I went on that. Oh, ride you did it. We, yeah, I did yeah. it. Uh, that was enough, along with my Air Force um, brother-in-law. And uh, that was my big foray into uh, Las Vegas. And I think we walked the old end of the strip. And that mm, was mm-hmm. kind of interesting. I, I I don't really like that kind of an environment so much. So that yeah. was fine with me. I would like to have gone into some of these really fancy hotels that have different floors and, you know, different things within the hotel. I think you can walk through them. I would like to have done that. And maybe when we visit again, we can do that. But that's about it. Yeah. And uh, the cheap food at some of the casinos. Yeah. Is the food any good, though? Um, yes. I thought the food was good. Okay. Yeah. But that's about it. Yeah. Well, the Winter Olympic Games are on. Yes, they are. Uh, have you been watching? Yes. I uh, haven't seen all the sports I'd like to. Um, they don't cover a lot of it during primetime. Yeah, NBC's getting pretty low marks for their presentation. It, it has been. Kind of, I'm glad I'm not the only one thinking that. I, mm-hmm. I've been a little disappointed. Um, we spent an hour, maybe, on Monday watching Halfpipe Snowboard. An mm-hmm. hour of that. Actually, probably just about 35 minutes because it seemed like the other 25 minutes were commercials. But yeah, it's yeah, I, there has not been a lot of variety that they've shown during the primetime hours on NBC. And we cut cable, so I we're not seeing the other stuff and we're not looking online either for it. So, yeah, I'd love to have seen some luge, you know, people racing down a yeah. hill of ice at 90 miles per hour and nothing but spandex. That's exciting. <laughs> but I've been at several different locations for lunch or meetings or something. And in every case, when I've looked to the television, they've only been doing curling. So I've only oh, seen yeah. the curling. And it's such a it's a puzzle to watch. I know there's uh, there's a real sport to it and there are rules and so on. But it's difficult to follow if you don't know what those are. And it can be a little bit. A little bit boring, but I've seen uh, images online of, of people in their you know kitchens with just regular brooms, kind of mimicking mm-hmm. how the sport goes. And uh, you know there have been some some wonderful performances. I haven't had the chance to see them, but yeah, seen the US some has of the well, seen some of the figure skating um, because that's always a big ratings winner. So they'll mm-hmm. show a lot of that. But I was disappointed too that I love watching downhill skiing, not the slalom so mm-hmm. much, but the downhill where they're really going fast and. 
Uh, 8.15, we turned on the TV the other night, and they announced uh, that they'd had the uh, the gold medal had been decided on the men's downhill. It's like, well, when did that take place? W- was that before we turned the TV on? You're not going to show us that? Yeah. Really? So, yeah, you wonder how decisions are made with all of yeah. that. But And I'm not sure, how much longer do they... They go through the next Sunday, the 25th. The 25th. Okay, yeah. so it's got a ways to go. Anyway. Yeah, we're only about halfway through. Kind of an, uh, an interesting thing. Well, a strand of white hair tucked into a uh, shabby almanac on the shelf of a college library in upstate New York has been revealed to be uh, from one of the nation's founding fathers. One way you know that is the fact that there is a strand or a, a tuft of hair uh, in this whole thing. Union College, located in Schenectady, uh, said in a news release that the lock of hair belonging to George Washington was found during a recent inventory review of the facility. Inside a leather book titled Gaines Universal Register or American and British Calendar, spelled with a K, for the year 1793. This is a very significant treasure, we're told. Uh, the head of the college's special collections and archives says it's a tremendous testament to history and our connection to some of the most important historical figures. So I guess for the uh, for the college, it's a connection, but, you know, a tuft of hair from a, a now long dead president. The almanac is believed to have belonged to Philip Schuyler, the son of General Philip Schuyler, one of the college's founders and a close friend of Washington who served under him during the Revolutionary War. Schuyler was also Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton's father-in-law. It's a small world after all. Um, two families, uh, the two families were close. It wasn't uncommon during that time period to give away a strand of hair as a token. In fact, I wanted to take this opportunity, Clark, to mention that if I do win the Publishers Clearinghouse and I decide that uh, working is just uh, too tedious while I'm counting my $5,000 a week, I will leave for you a tuft of hair that you can oh. uh, then tuck away in a paperback book somewhere and leave for your uh, your ancestors for future generations exactly it's it's going to be big or bushy anyway i'm not sure which one uh, anyway they were well connected these families they had good social standing and so this was a, a good find for the college researchers at the school said the almanac had several handwritten notes from schuyler inside including the slender envelope that was inscribed washington's hair so there was no question <laughs> Uh, The initials LSS um, and 1871. Strands of uh, the the president's hair is, uh, you know, kind of an unusual thing from our vantage point. But historically, that's not all that uncommon. The six strands of hair in the uh, book were still held together by a single delicate thread. College officials said that contrary to popular uh, lore, Washington did not wear a wig. Um, his hair was originally reddish brown. I, I've never met, uh, uh, pictured him with uh, his hair with color in it, but reddish brown. Reddish brown. And he powdered it regularly to achieve the fashionable white color. By the time of his presidency, however, the reddish brown had faded. The gray white color had uh, been the uh, uh, the color that's seen in the Union's strands. The school said officials from the Schuyler Mansion, a state his, uh, historic site in Albany, told researchers from the college that James Madison, the third son of Alexander Hamilton, gave the uh, uh, lock of hair to his granddaughters, uh, Lois Lee Schuyler and George Schuyler, whose um, initials were on the yellow envelope. So there you have it. Strands of the former president's hair. General Washington. So you want me to put it in an envelope? Is that what you're thinking? That would be really nice. A strand yeah. of ribbon around that? Oh, sure. All right. We'll see to it. 31 minutes after four. Portions of today's program are brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. I keep wondering why we can't do air supply songs on here. 
Because <laughs> it's this, not my show. When you do this guy, you can play the whole song for the whole yeah. segment. Anyway, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon, 37 minutes after 4 o'clock. 37 minutes. Although it's really difficult to tell what time it actually is. I have a clock as I'm staring directly ahead. Uh, Clark sits opposite me and he's facing me. I'm facing him. He's got his headphones on and the mic in front of me. And then slightly to my left, there's a clock that's supposed to help me keep the time. It's off. It says 440. My computer clock to the left says 437. So it's all very confusing <clears throat> as to what time. The computer clock is the one that's the one. Yes, tied but to it's the satellite. So less yes. convenient to look at. So it's a little bit confusing. Anyway, a Kentucky... When you're confused, um, you just look at me because I yes. have the answers for this. Wow, you have all the answers generally, so <laughs> at least I should be consistent. A Kentucky <laughs> elementary school announced it broke a world record by gathering 556 people dressed as Abraham Lincoln. You know, we're celebrating his birthday in the next couple of days. Officials at Lincoln Elementary School in Louisville said 556 people, including students and faculty members, donned stovepipe hats chin strap beards to break the record for most people dressed as Abraham Lincoln in one place. Apparently there's a record for such a thing. We admire Abraham Lincoln, said the principal, Susan French Epps, uh, speaking to the local television station. We've studied his contributions that he has made for all citizens and appreciate the opportunity to celebrate the month of his birth and give him some love on Valentine's Day. So it was kind of a dual purpose. The school is submitting the record and evidence uh, for the event to Guinness Book of World Records, which lists the current record at 250 Abe Lincolns. And again, they had 556, so they have uh, set a pretty um, amazing record. And uh, Abraham Lincoln knows nothing about the whole thing. Hey, question for you about President's Day. Has it seemed to you that in recent years it's not just about uh, Lincoln and Washington's birthday, it's kind of about all presidents who have served? Has it kind of seemed to you like it's become that? No, it seems to me it's become just a day off that's utterly— Well, I know that, but— Disassociated from presidents at all. No, I haven't seen evidence of that. Hmm. Where are you seeing it? It's just a sense I've had. Since we've called it President's Day, that it doesn't seem to necessarily be about Washington. Yeah. Like it seems to be about all of them. And if you don't know anything about the history, if you don't know that uh, the birthdays of two presidents are being recognized as one day, then I suppose President's Day does suggest all presidents. So you're, you're probably right. All right. And people know less and less of their history. So a, uh, the field of teenage candidates running for Kansas governor has grown to seven. Seven teenagers running to be the uh, governor of the state of Kansas. And the latest uh, contender isn't even from the state. The, the uh, Topeka Capital Journal reports that 18-year-old Connor Shelton, a University of Delaware student from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, has uh, been inspired to enter the race when a man launched a short-lived campaign for his dog, Angus. Boy, it's good to know that we take these things seriously. Elections officials put the brakes on the dog's candidacy. More on that momentarily. But (laughs) Kansas doesn't have an age or a residency requirement, which lawmakers are seeking to change, especially after this year, I'm guessing. Six other teenagers have entered the race, but Shelton is the first who isn't from Kansas. The chemical engineering major described his candidacy as an experiment of sorts. In addition to the teens running for governor, a teen is running for Kansas Secretary of State. As well, so you have a total of seven teenagers uh, who are running uh, to become Kansas' next governor. Wow! I mentioned the dog. Well, a dog can be man's best friend, but not its governor. The Kansas Secretary of State's office has now said, which may explain why there is a teenager running to replace the Kansas Secretary of State, Angus Woolley, three. 
a uh, wire-haired Visala. Do you know what kind of a dog that is? I've never heard of it. V-I-Z-S-L-A. Vizla. I'm not sure either. Not really a dog person. But uh, anyway, that dog was entered in the state's uh, gubernatorial race by its owner, his owner, uh, last week after he found anyone can run, the Kansas City Star reported. Well, Wooly Hutchinson uh, of uh, Kansas told the newspaper there that he filed the paperwork to make Angus a candidate after he discovered there were no electoral rules specifying uh, any criteria for who can run for Kansas governor. He decided to put uh, Angus' name in after he saw a few teenagers running for the office. Basically, I was reading some stories about the young teenagers who were entering the governor's race and thought, I wonder what it takes to be in the race. And I thought, I wonder if my dog Angus could run. Now, the question is, would Angus run? Would he consent to run? Is he prepared to govern? Well, the Kansas Secretary of State to put an end to all the questions. The office quashed the canine's candidacy. A dog will not be allowed to file and to put its name on the ballot, said the Secretary of State and the Director of Elections for the Secretary of State's office. Um, uh, Kobach is also running for governor in 2018. So Secretary of State is running to be the governor against the teenagers, but not the dog because Secretary of State said the dog couldn't run. Well, they've got things under control over there in Kansas, don't they? Yeah, apparently so. Kansas lawmakers were considering legislation that would change the state's requirement on who could run for office. Republican Representative Blake Carpenter said the bill would uh, place some requirements on who can run for governor. I'm glad I guess a dog wasn't allowed onto the ballot because that just, well, it makes no sense, he said. If uh, Angus were allowed to run, he would have promised citizens soft couches, Tempur-Pedic beds, free-for-life universal chuck-it-ball supplies and completely anti-squirrel agenda. If he had won, Angus would have appointed his siblings, Babe and Max, as lieutenant governor and secretary of state, respectively. Willie said he believed his pup would have been a great governor. I do believe that he is a caring, nurturing individual who cares about the best for humanity and all creatures other than squirrels, of course. So well, that squirrel a, platform of his, I'm kind of in favor of that. But. Yeah, yeah. But he's not on the ballot, so maybe they'll move mm. to Oregon, where the who teenage, knows? The teenagers is interesting. You can ride on a bicycle in Portland with no clothes on. I think you ought to allow a, a dog on the, the ballot. Um, At least you're in Portland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. There's a resort that's seeking a chief flamingo officer to care for the birds, a new resort in the Bahamas. <laughs> that sounds like a tough job. Is seeking someone with a high-flying set of skills to act as the new CEO, that is, chief Flamingo, or excuse me, CFO, Chief Flamingo Officer. The Baja Marmego Resort uh, posted a job opening on its website seeking a Chief Flamingo Officer to be in charge of caring for the flock of birds that are scheduled to arrive at the resort this spring. I mean, do you just work during the spring or what? The resort said the Flamingo Officer needs to have more than just a passion for pink birds. They should have a degree in zoology. Oh, rats. A related field or exotic bird experience equivalent to a degree. Practical application and knowledge of avian science, flamingo care and propagation, birds hubs, husbandry skills, staff training, animal training and enrichment skills required, the posting states. Well, never mind then. Uh, the resort said, although I could probably acquire the credentials with my $5,000 a week. I'm sure there's some kind of diploma mill that'll be happy online. to issue Something online, absolutely. There, of course, I wouldn't want to have to touch the birds or be near the birds or feed the birds or do anything. You don't have to. You hire an assistant. Oh. 
When you're the head of the department, the CFO, yeah, you have to have an assistant. You have to have people working under yeah. you. Oh, where do I, where do I send good. my resume to? <laughs> well, apparently to me, if I'm going to buy oh. my way in. The chief flamingo officer uh, would also be required to create emotional connections with resort guests while giving tours and demonstrations. Create emotional connections. Do you see this beautiful bird? <laughs> How was that? Wow. Was that good? I, well, would, would that work for you if I were to work? It was assistant level, but it wasn't really up to... Well, that's what I'm shooting yeah, for. Yeah, You know, when you retire, I'll take over as the uh, CFO. Yeah. Well, the uh, <laughs> the CFO, Avion Manager, in conjunction with the Avion Curator, apparently another position, will be responsible for the care, propagation, and training of the Flamingo collections at the uh, hotel, the resort, Baja Mar, and related facilities to create a beach sanctuary experience that will leave a lasting impression on guests with whom... You have created emotional connections, the posting states. The resort said it will accept applications for the position through February 28th, which, by the way, is the same day that the publisher's clearinghouse is coming to my home with the big fake check, the balloons and the whole. I can totally see how this is lining up for you. It seems to be. It seems to be. Where do you go after you're the CFO? What's what's the next step in your career ladder? Guest at the hotel. I don't really know. 46 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Ah. <laughs> are, you, are you singing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not that kind of a program. <laughs> Me. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, I'm done. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree you're done. <laughs> Be sure to leave your key at the front. <laughs> no, you actually do have a fine voice. I just no. I was going into a total falsetto all of a there. Sudden, for you to start singing. I'm enjoying the song, thinking about Dan Rice, and all of a sudden, <laughs> be quite honest. Sounds like two cats fighting. And <laughs> I was a little frightened to be <laughs> to be quite honest. You need to warn me. Can you text me or send me an that, email? That's, that, Let me know ahead of time. It wouldn't be any fun if I did. <laughs> All right, it's 51 minutes after after 4 o'clock. <laughs> it's fun Friday, right? <laughs> I, guess, I guess so. Wow. Yeah. You can only take so much fun, though, in one <laughs> sitting, and that, that may have reached the, uh, the limit. Boom. Okay, uh, there's an unseen museum exhibit that's uh, about to be opened up. It's depicting the glow-in-the-dark creatures that we otherwise could not see, hence the name Unseen. Feel as though you're in the dark, when it comes to the underwater world, well, yes. Well, New York's American Museum of Natural History is working on just the solution. It's a floor-to-ceiling installation depicting creatures that glow. Now, depicting creatures, I guess they're not actually there. Photographers got a sneak peek on Thursday as one of the centerpieces was installed for the exhibition called Unseen Oceans. And I've been watching The Big Blue. I think it's the latest Planet Earth series. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely fascinating to see some of these creatures in places that you don't even think about. Anyway, the intersection of nature and art is dubbed Fishnado and displays hundreds of models of marine species that exhibit biofluorescence. Black light eerily illuminates a a scene of sea creatures that appear to swim overhead. Unseen Oceans opens to the public in March. And again, that's uh, in New York at the American Museum of Natural History. I saw an, an image of at least this early exhibit that's now up. Um, absolutely beautiful and fascinating. Hmm. Well, as you know, the national anthem has 
uh, once again uh, being criticized for lyrics in the third verse in Canada, for example. They changed the lyrics of their national anthem, which uh, they've done several times, this just being the latest example of it. Well, in Maryland, lawmakers who support changing the official state song think the time is right to finally wipe away the phrase, Northern scum, (laughs) which is in there, and other sensitive pre-Civil War phrases. Maryland, my Maryland, set to the traditional seasonal tune of O Tannenbaum, was written in 1861. Sensibilities were a little different back then by James Ryder Randall and adopted as the state song in 1939. Previous attempts to change it have stalled partly because lawmakers were reluctant to tinker with history, although sometimes history needs to be tinkered with, as long as we recognize we're tinkering with it and it's identified as having been tinkered with. Now, some say recent events involving Confederate statues may help to change the language in what was originally a poem that doubled as a call to arms. In August, several days after violent protests in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, Maryland officials removed from the statehouse grounds a statue of Robert, uh, or rather Roger Taney, who was a U.S. Supreme Court justice who wrote the 1857 Dred Scott decision that upheld slavery and denied citizenship to my ancestors, um, African-Americans. Also in August, the University of Maryland uh, marching band announced it would no longer play the song before football games. I think exactly this is the year, says the Baltimore Democrat who's sponsoring the bill to change the song. I don't have the uh, full lyrics here, but... Um, um, I don't know, uh, singing the word scum in a song probably isn't the the best way to um, lift the yeah, no. virtues of your state. But Northern Scum is one of the uh, lyrics in the in the song. Sounds like the name of a punk band or something. It probably is. Yeah. Or soon will be now that it's been uh, made more popular. And we talked about this a while ago, but if you think commas don't matter, it really, ma- it really makes a difference. <laughs> Sometimes at Oxford, those, uh, comma. Yeah. Uh, where those uh, commas are either omitted or included. Omitting one cost the main dairy about $5 million. And we talked about about this being unsettled. Well, it's now settled. The suit brought against uh, Oakhurst Dairy by the company drivers um, sought $10 million in a dispute about overtime payment, and a federal appeals court decided to keep the driver's lawsuit uh, concerning an exemption from Maine's overtime law alive last year. Court documents filed uh, on Thursday show that the company and the drivers settled for $5 million, all because of a comma. Uh, For want of a comma, we have this case. U.S. uh, Court of Appeals for the First Circuit Judge David Barron uh, said back in March of last year, the sentence at the heart of the dairy's driver's case referred to Maine's overtime law and whom it doesn't apply to. The canning, comma, processing, comma, preserving, comma, freezing, comma, drying, comma, marketing, comma, storing, comma, packing for shipment, or distribution of agricultural produce, meat and fish products, and perishable foods. Well, the disagreement stemmed from a lack of comma after the word shipment. So there you have it, $5 million. So if you are a student and you really don't like the English class and you don't like studying grammar, this right here, boys and girls, is an object lesson. Learn how to do it right. It may save you 5 million dollars the thing is though parents you can thank me later there is still a debate over this i always used to use it when i grew up throughout college i used it and then learning to write ap style Mm -hmm. they don't require it they don't ban it that's true it's and that's true they don't require it it their specific their stipulation is that it you need to use it if it will 
not cause confusion in order well in in order to, like what you just mentioned that story yeah. and in this case that. there's a it's a state statute and they were referring to it and apparently yeah. where the comma appears matters in terms of interpreting the intent of the law so uh i think the object lesson remains boys and girls learn your grammar and it may save you five million dollars, which, by the way, I will accumulate in a very short period of time because I'm going to be the recipient of five thousand dollars a week for the rest of my life. And then once I've passed that on to so glory, awesome. then I can pass that on to somebody else of my choosing. Clark so, Hilton. Yeah, that according Clark to the Hilton. letter I received Clark from the publishers Hilton Clearinghouse. I told you I'm going to give you a little something. Yeah, you said it may be a card or something. I said it would be very little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be nice. It'll be it'll be in keeping with the nature and the depth of our friendship. The work that we've done to it will reflect the work that we've done together and the quality of that work. I've got a daughter going to college in uh, <laughs> 14 years. Now she's a whole nother matter. Now she she'll get a little something something. It may not be a little something. <laughs> she's pretty cute. I sure don't like you, but your daughter's really nice. And she's got a little birthday coming up too. So she does. She's going to turn four next week. I cannot believe it. I, I remember know. the first day I saw her was the day she was born, and I got to hold her. That's right. And for her to be four. Uh, coming up. That's that's pretty amazing. Well, a woman in southern China accompanied her purse through a train station's luggage x-ray machine rather than part with her bag. <laughs> wow. This was the uh, Lunar New Year holiday rush, according to Chinese media. Video from the digital news platform Pair Video, linked on a Facebook page of the state-run People's Daily newspaper and widely picked up online, showed a guard apparently telling the woman that, yes, small bags need to go through the machine. Well, the security video shows her leaving the screen and then emerging from the device. Still, x-ray images online show a person in high heels uh, kneeling among bags and other items going through the machine. The woman rolled through the security screening machine on Sunday in the southern city of Dongguan uh, because she wanted to protect her money. Maybe there's a problem there with people getting into your purse while it's going through that process. The People's Daily Facebook post and the other media reports. Many Chinese migrant workers carry their annual earnings home to family in cash during the Lunar New Year. So she probably had a lot. It's the busiest travel period of the year. Passengers are warned that not only is this kind of behavior forbidden, but also the radiation from the machine is incredibly harmful to human health. But when it came to her purse and whatever was in it, she said she did not care. She Climbed up on the x-ray um, belt, mm. went through the scanner, purse in tow, came out the other side, put her heels back on, and went on her merry way to apparently celebrate the Lunar New Year. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, looks like 5 o'clock. I suppose we need to uh, take a break. News and traffic at the top of the hour. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Six minutes after five o'clock is the time. Clark Hilton is engineering. James Blind is producing. Although, don't know how long we'll be here because you're very close to winning that publisher's clearinghouse. February 28th, according to the letter I had yeah. personally sent to me. We were just talking about how you'd be living at the resort here soon uh, as the uh, chief flamingo officer. And then yes, yes, the CFO. And I made, um, a, f I made a few jokes about that. Uh, Said that uh, this whole thing could be a bad uh, Rodney Dangerfield, <laughs> Chevy Chase movie. And you thought I said Jimmy Jakes. And then there was a joke about 
a hearing aid, and I said, you know, you'll be able to get a new hearing aid every day. Now I'll just have you don't people... have to change the battery; you just throw it out and get a new one. I every will have people day. to hear for me. I'll just hire people; <laughs> they can hear for me. When you got that much money, I'd you know, who needs <laughs> oh, an aid? Yeah. I, I mean, a real hearing aid, right? You I can also you. bring iced tea to the veranda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we return to, <laughs> to our more lighthearted fare, I did uh, want to let you know about an email I just received from Oregon Right to Life. Uh, Lois Anderson sent it. And for those of you who signed up for Oregon Right to Life's uh, alerts, uh, you will have seen this as well. But there's sad news this afternoon. The State House of Representatives passed House Bill 4135. We talked about the fact that this threatens the safety of um, uh, those with Alzheimer's or, or uh, mental incapacities of various kinds. Uh, she writes that just like in committee, the vote was uh, along party lines. Just like in committee, problems with the bill were ignored by those intent upon pushing this through. We are thankful for the strong stand for uh, of all House Republicans against this terrible bill. We spoke eloquently, or some spoke eloquently on the House floor in defense of life. We will highlight some of their statements in the future and give you an opportunity to thank them for their work as advocates for life. But for now, the fight goes to the Senate, and they're updating their action alert to allow you to contact Contact your state senator about the bill, um, and you can go to their website for that information um, to get uh, more details about um, House Bill 4135 passed today in the House on its way to uh, the state Senate. Um, and for those of you who don't remember or don't know, uh, House Bill 4135 changes the statutory form of Oregon's advanced directive and in the process uh, will no longer protect Oregonians' end-of-life health care choices. It's important to uh, read and, uh, from my perspective, stop the bill. It, it threatens uh, those with mental illness like Alzheimer's or dementia uh, but are still able to eat or drink. And more of the details can be found there, but did want to pass that action alert on to you. Okay, on Fridays, we uh, we tend to lighten up. We take a look at some of the lighter side of the news. And this has been a very difficult week for a number of reasons. Um, on Valentine's Day, we focused on the plight of children in India who should never be uh, in a situation where their innocence is threatened on a moment-by-moment basis. We also watched unfold the events that took place in Florida at a high school. And so I know people are, are grieving and, and contemplating, wringing their hands. What will we do? What will we talk about doing? What will actually be done? Is there an answer? Uh, so uh, in light of all of that, we thought we would just take um, today, as is typically the case, and just take a look at some of the lighter side of the news. I know people are continuing to pray, to communicate with uh, those in positions of authority to actually respond to this situation and perhaps make it less likely that perpetrators in the future will be successful. I did read even today that there were two instances in which a similar um, possibility was uh, thwarted, two similar possibilities were thwarted. Um, one in Washington, the other one I don't remember, but a grandmother somehow uh, prevented a young person who was saying they were going to engage in similar uh, violent behavior. So anyway, I, I know we're all aware of those events that we're praying about it. And again, pressing those um, who have the capacity to to respond constructively. Um, an elk leaked into a research helicopter that was trying to capture it and brought the helicopter <laughs> down in a collision that also killed the elk. Um, not Yowza. particularly lighthearted, but it is rather interesting to consider an elk brought down a helicopter. Now, again, the helicopter was trying to capture the elk. I don't know if it's for 
purposes of tagging or what, but the elk jumped into the chopper, uh, chopper's tail rotor as the aircraft flew about 10 feet or three meters above the ground in the mountainous uh, part of eastern Utah, with its crew trying to drop a net on the elk. Uh, the two people on board weren't seriously hurt, but the elk, um, well, he didn't survive. The state-contracted Texas-based crew was trying to capture and sedate the elk and give it a training collar to rescue its, uh, or rather research its movements in the area about 90 miles east of Salt Lake City. Helicopters are pretty frequently used and essential tools in monitoring these remote wildlife, particularly in Utah. The tracking collars help wildlife officials monitor elk migration paths and uh, survival rates. Unfortunately, they impacted the survival rate in in this case, um, uh, negatively, the state captures about 1,300 of these animals every year, almost all using helicopters. And Tuesday's downed helicopter was the first accident of its kind. The crew had launched a net to catch the animal, but when that didn't uh, immediately work, the pilot started to slow down so someone could jump out and hobble uh, the elk. Uh, as the helicopter slowed down, the elk collided with the rotator and the rest you already know. Anyway, it's a rather interesting thing to consider that this is a practice that goes on quite regularly, not uh, with the intent of harming the elk, but of uh, simply tagging them and monitoring their whereabouts. Well, German police are investigating a case of severe pizza stalking in the western town of Dortmund. Uh, Police are looking for someone who's bombarded a lawyer by sending scores of pizzas to his office. They said uh, Wednesday the annoyed lawyer pressed charges in January but told them that uh, he had no idea who was behind the unwanted food deliveries. Now, how do you press charges against someone who sends pizzas to your office? What would be the charge exactly? Well, local newspaper uh, named the lawyer, um, whose name I won't attempt to pronounce, but he told them that he had already received over 100 pizzas. Again, I'm asking, what's the offense here? (laughs) Um, it was so irritating, I don't even get my work done anymore. He says sometimes notices about the first deliveries of the day pop up on his phone during his morning shower. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so apparently they're being delivered all times of the day and night. Lately, however, the anonymous buyer's tastes have changed. There have um, also been deliveries of sushi, sausage, and Greek food. Now, it seems to me if someone is paying to have this stuff delivered, it wouldn't be that difficult to trace the sender, but apparently it's uh, tougher than I might imagine. I, if, however, I'd, I'd be okay. I'll say, if, however, you want to send me food, just do it. Let's see between noon and no, seven. No. Hold on a second. You're going to be making five thousand dollars a week through Publishers Clearinghouse. How about if you buy me food or us food? Just send I, it. That's I, not going to start until the twenty eighth. And you know, you I'm get ready the to go in March. It's springtime, springtime pizza. I'm not quite so sure how quickly that the funds are going I to start I like yum bowls, in. too. Can you do that? Like what? I like yum bowls, too. Would What's you be that? willing to do that? What is it? You've never heard of Cafe Yum? No. Oh, yum bowls. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah. I've heard of it, but I, I don't mean, they're a little that. less expensive than pizzas. I take those. Yeah, money's too. not going to be an object for me. $5,000 a week. All right. Well, think about it. All right. Well, there was an adorable picture that went viral. Um, a California sheriff's deputy was driving to his assistant. At the Golden State Warriors game, um, and he had an unexpected passenger, and it was a mouse. Now, I think we mentioned here last year that one of our coworkers um, has a mouse in his vehicle. He discovered mouse droppings in his cup holder, and then upon further inspection, realized they were elsewhere in the vehicle. And then his wife opened the trunk, and apparently the creature, the critter, <laughs> had taken stuffing out of the upholstery and was making a nest. Well, I spoke with him earlier this week. They set up a couple of mouse traps. They caught two mouse, two mice. 
Um, and uh, they think they may have put an end to the problem, but nonetheless, it does happen. This mouse, on the other hand, was on the windshield facing in toward the <laughs> toward the officer, holding on for dear life to the windshield wiper. Uh, the mouse was found on the windshield of a canine vehicle belonging to the Alameda County, County Sheriff's deputy, Brandon Denningham. Uh, the sheriff's office said in a Facebook post on Sunday with a picture, by the way, that they discovered the rodent while heading to a work assignment at the Golden State Warriors game. Further investigation revealed the suspect was likely a San Antonio Spurs fan trying to intimidate us, the sheriff's office said, seemingly poking fun at the basketball rivalry. Deputy Denningen, Dennington rather, was able to de-escalate techniques um, uh, and get the uh, the rabid fan off his car, luckily I uh, was able to snap this photo before the elusive bandit uh, escaped or was moved. The police officer said the rodent suspect was last seen scurrying away to a hiding spot. The mouse was described as being four inches tall with gray and white fur. It's still unclear how it ended up on the windshield. Thankfully, the Warriors won. The Deputy Dennington uh, got to the game on time. The Sheriff's Department shared the photo to the of the rodent rather on its Facebook page, which has uh, garnered nearly 2,800 reactions, was shared 1,800 times as of Monday afternoon. It's actually a pretty cute picture, but the mouse does have a bit of a panicked look on its face. I bet it does. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 22 minutes after five o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, armed police stormed a Scottish farm after receiving a report of a tiger on the loose, only to discover the big cat was a cuddly toy laying on the road. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> How embarrassing that must have been. But I'm seeing images of it, and it does look, it's a life-size okay. cuddly toy. Okay. Um, a Facebook group shared photos of the stuffed animal and poked fun at the officers who reported to the farm. Uh, nervous radio updates started coming in, uh, stating it was unclear if the tiger has been uh, had already eaten cattle, but it appeared well-fed, and its ears, <laughs> its ears were seen to be twitching. But other than that, it was very settled, uh, the post said. After some time of rather sheepish-sounding, Sergeant comes to the air and declares that it was indeed a stuffed toy. Authorities said they received the unusual call late Saturday and decided to verify the potential danger. It's true, our officers had a roaring uh, shift on Saturday night, said the Northeast Police uh, division chief. According to the Scottish Sun, the incident began when a farmer, Bruce Grubb, 24, a young man, uh, went out to the barn to check his um, pregnant cows. He soon spotted what he thought was a real tiger and called the police. I had absolutely no doubt it was real, Grubb told the newspaper. Uh, it was quite a scare. I was uh, worried it was going to eat all of my cows before police managed to shoot it. Well, once police arrived, the cops had a nearly hour-long standoff with the alleged wild beast. That is, until Grubb approached it with a truck, only to discover it was a stuffed toy. Uh, I was stone-cold sober. Uh, drink had nothing to do with me thinking it was real, said the farmer. Um, well, Peterhead ins- uh, Inspector George Cordner said in a post on Facebook it was... Um, Standard practice to send out an armed officer to any potential threat, adding they were uh, not deployed nor required. I'm not sure what that meant, but our ultimate aim is to protect the public and keep our officers safe when they face uncertain situations. Until you know exactly what you're dealing with, every option has to be considered. It's unclear who owns the stuffed tiger. We appreciate that it was a false call made with genuine good Intent. Now you do wonder who whose it is and how it ended up out in the kind of in a remote area close to this farm. Somewhere, mm. some little kid is still crying. 
where's my tiger? <laughs> Hasn't slept in weeks looking for the thing. It seems intentional to me because it, of where it's located. It didn't yeah. fall off the back of a truck. It's, it's in an isolated area, but it does make for a rather... Uh, humorous story. Well, there is a um, a good Samaritan. She calls herself the cigarette butt lady. She's from Auburn. She's on a mission to clean up her city. Now, I don't know why people think, although people don't smoke as much as they used to, that they can just throw the cigarette butts to the ground, but she will have none of it. The California woman started her crusade back in October of 2014 and picked up her cigarette millionth butt recently. Now, California, can you smoke anywhere in California? Um, anyway, she's an anti-littering activist in California, celebrating her unusual milestone, picking up her one millionth discarded cigarette butt. Sally Dolly, who browned herself the uh, cigarette butt lady of Auburn after beginning her quest to clean up the streets, was accompanied by an entourage of friends, family and fans Wednesday when she swept up her one millionth cigarette butt in the parking lot of Mel's Diner in Auburn. I got tired of going to my, going on my walks and seeing cigarette butts everywhere, she says. She says she uses a click to um, keep track of the cigarette butt she picks up um, around the town. I'm just overwhelmed and shocked that I had to, to pick up so many. I keep track on a daily basis of how many I pick up, and I just keep going. She said she wants to inspire people to be more responsible. I've had days where I've picked up 3,000 cigarette butts in one day, and it's like, come on, people. Well, the cigarette butt lady offered uh, some advice to local smokers. Don't throw your butts, she said. Better yet, stop smoking. So another crusader is recognized for her good deeds. Meanwhile, we're learning that McDonald's um, world-famous French fries may be the cure for more than just hunger. A Japanese stem cell research team may have found a way to eliminate baldness by using an ingredient in McDonald's French fries. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what to say there. It's troubling, but... Interesting. So potatoes, oil, what is it, salt? The scientists Tallow. from Yokohama National U- <laughs> University discovered the chemical something-something. It's a silicone used in McDonald's fry oil to prevent splashing, and it can be used uh, to mass-produce hair follicles on mice. Hmm. So you wonder, what is it doing as you consume the stuff? Anyway, the simple method has proved widely successful in creating hair follicle germs or cells that help grow hair follicles. The research team credits the use of this chemical in the groundbreaking experiment that has resulted in thousands of simultaneous hair follicle germs. The key for the the mass production of HFGs, as they're abbreviatingly called, was a choice of substance materials for the, uh, the culture vessel, says one professor there. We used oxygen permeable PDMSs uh, at the bottom of the culture vessel, and it worked very well. Once the HGFs uh, were transplanted into the backs of mice, new black hair began to sprout in those areas. Uh, The technique created 5,000 HFGs simultaneously and reported new hair growth from the uh, result of the transplantation into the mice. Though the method has only been used in mice, the team feels the technique will also be able to be used in humans with similarly impressive results. Uh, This simple method is very robust and promising, says the professor. Uh, We hope this technique will improve human hair regeneration therapy to treat hair loss, such as... um, androgenetic alopecia in males and the female version. In fact, we have preliminary data that suggests uh, this formation, this formulary, uh, using human something else um, will, in fact, be successful. So you might want to order your fries and a scoop of the uh, oil that the fries were fried in.
Mm. There you have it. Well, you probably heard this already, but the new CEO of PepsiCo told uh, Freakonomics last week that uh, Frito-Lay, a subsidiary of the soda giant, would release a low-crunch, female-friendly version of Doritos because she claims women would prefer to eat politely in public. But after the idea received harsh criticism online, the company is now uh, contradicting her statement. In the new interview, um, she told the, the host of the program that men lick their fingers with great glee after eating Doritos chips. And when uh, when they reach the bottom of the bag, they pour the little uh, broken pieces into their mouth because they don't want to lose the, the taste of the or the flavor. And the broken chips at the bottom are kind of a nice chaser to it all. Women would love to do the same, the CEO said, but they choose not to because they don't like the crunch too loudly in public. Well, it has very little to do with the crunching loudly in public, but yeah. she continued, they don't lick their fingers generously and they don't like to pour the little broken pieces and the flavor into their mouths. Really? That whole thing is just dumb. When asked if the company is uh, looking to create male and female versions of their chips, uh, it's not a male and female thing, but did add, are there snacks for women that can be designed and packaged differently? Well, apparently the answer is Yes. Well, the company, as I mentioned, is now backtracked on that whole thing. I think women have enjoyed Doritos just as they are for quite some time. And maybe she was just looking to get a little attention to the uh, to the company. But um, the full taste profile uh, is going to be in these new low crunch chips. If, in fact, they're ever produced. We have two different versions of the story now. Um, they will not have so much of the flavor stick on your fingers and can fit in a handbag because women love to carry a snack in their purse. Really? Do women carry snacks? I have a big purse. I don't carry snacks in my purse. Just for just for the little kids, maybe in the party. Yeah, if they're if they're uh, feeding. Uh, by the way, Princeton is hosting a fat positive dinner for fat identified students. Fat identified students. Oh, what a time we live in. Fat identified. Hmm. What will they serve? I wonder. I'll just leave that alone. Yeah. 30 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Good afternoon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the origins of the intense flickering displays um, that light up the Earth's atmosphere are now revealed after a decade-long hunt, according to a new study. Similar auroras, if you will, uh, may take place high above Jupiter and Saturn. So there are some similarities there, according to scientists behind this new research. Well, the dramatic light show known in the northern and southern areas as the northern and southern lights, also called auroras, are uh, as varied in nature as the colors they display in the sky. The most familiar kind, known as discrete auroras, are renowned for shimmering ribbons and streamers of color. Now, have you ever seen one of those in real life, Clark? Because I've never actually seen one of these auroras or the northern or southern lights. Um, but anyway, they, uh, they uh, pulsate. Uh, they're giant blinking patches of light. That's the, the kind of aurora that we're talking about here. Streams of ribbon and colors. Um, the aurora guide, how the northern lights work, is an uh, a resource to understand them better. But auroras result when the streams of high-speed particles from the sun, collectively known as solar wind, slam into the Earth's um, mega-atmosphere or something like that, magnetic sphere or something. Well, the shell of electricity-charged particles trapped by the planet's magnetic field, uh, discrete auroras originate a new thousand miles above Earth's surface. Pulsating auroras rise about ten times farther away. Now, I don't understand what all that means, but I would love to see 
the Aurora Borealis, the northern or southern lights, which apparently are um, seen elsewhere um, as well. Well, there's a new satellite that has helped to explain why this um, weird phenomenon actually takes place. And they say that previous research suggested that this pulsating was triggered by electromagnetic functions or fluctuations known as uh, chorus waves uh, that arise in the um, magnetosphere at the equator. But now they have a better idea of what actually makes them happen. I'd just like to see them happen without having any real understanding of why uh, it produces such a phenomenon. Anyway, Easter Sunday arrives on the 1st of April this year. It's the culmination of Holy Week. It commemorates the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the most important holiday in the Christian calendar. However, it's absent from some of Apple users' iCal calendars. Now, the question is, was that a deliberate omission? Is there some nefarious purpose behind it? Or was it just a... um, an accidental oversight. There are other holidays on the U.S. calendar, like um, Juneteenth, a holiday celebrating the abolition of slavery in Texas. Little known in the broader culture, but that's on the calendar. Flag Day, uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, they all appear on the iCal uh, Apple calendar. Easter Sunday shows up on calendars for iPhone users running versions 11. of Apple's iOS operating system, but not some users of the 11.2.5, which is the latest version of the uh, operating system. One user said Easter showed up, uh, showed in the calendar, but uh, most said that's not the case. Chinese, Hebrew, Islamic, um, they're all offered as uh, alternate iCalendar options for the um, Apple iOS 11.2.5, but not Christianity. Now, the default setting on iOS devices is for U.S. holidays, which shows holidays such as Thanksgiving. It does include Christmas, Independence Day. However, there is an option to add alternative, uh, alternative calendars, including a Chinese calendar that would show the days important in that culture, Hebrew, Islamic calendars, but again, Christian, absent from that list on iOS 11.2.5. You might want to check it out if you have that latest version. According to Pew Research, there are 2.3 billion Christians around the world as of 2015. That makes it the world's largest religion, so it's rather odd that it's excluded. Additionally, the Hebrew calendar does not show major religious holidays such as Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah. Those are like the two big ones. It does show others like um, Tishri and Heaven, I think, is the right uh, pronunciation. H-E-V-A-N. It might just be heaven. Anyway, it's unclear if the missing Jewish holidays and the lack of the Christian calendar are a software glitch or an oversight on Apple's part. In the most recent holiday quarter, Apple grew its smartphone market share in the United States, capturing 44 percent, the highest ever, selling 22.4 million iPhones, according to data provided by uh, count or center point research. I guess it is counterpoint. Apple uh, doesn't break out um, how many iPhones uh, were sold in a particular region. It sold 77.3 million iPhones, aided in part by consumer demand for the iPhone X, Apple's most expensive iPhone ever. Um, revenue for the, the uh, Americas in the same period was about $35.2 billion, accounting for nearly 40% of Apple's total revenue in that period. Apple hasn't yet responded to a request for comment, uh, but we're waiting to find out um, if the missing Christian holidays is an oversight they intend to fix um, or if that was some kind of a slight that was intended. We learned today that the judge uh, handed down the maximum sentence allowed under the law to the young man who was responsible for the fire 
uh, in the Columbia Gorge over this summer. Uh, up to five years probation, 1,920 hours of community service with the U.S. Forest Service are also required. The 15-year-old suspected of starting that massive Eagle Creek wildfire in the Columbia Gorge pled guilty uh, in court uh, Friday morning. That was this morning. He was sentenced to five years of probation, again, 1,920 hours of community service, saying, I sincerely apologize to everyone who had the had to deal with this fire. I cannot imagine how scary it must have been for you. He wrote in a letter, I know I have to earn your forgiveness and I will work hard to do so. And one day I hope I will. And we're talking about a 15-year-old kid who probably didn't have a concept that my foolish actions now in a place that is a tinderbox could have major consequences down the road. That's not uncommon for 15-year-olds and those younger. Oregon State police investigator said the boy started the fire on the 2nd of September while igniting fireworks. He pled guilty to reckless burning, depositing burning materials on forest lands, unlawful possession of fireworks, criminal mischief, and reckless endangerment of other persons. The prosecutor said the boy and his family have cooperated with investigators. The wildfires burned more than 48,000 acres in the scenic Columbia Gorge and the Mount Hood National Forest. A representative with the U.S. Forest Service said one, uh, 121 miles of national forest trails were also impacted. A group of hikers had to be rescued after the fire started and several structures burned. Thankfully, there were no fatalities. According to the representative with the Oregon Department of Transportation, crews removed more than 12,000 trees to make the area safe. ODOT estimates a projected $12 million in total costs. Again, a kid fooling around with fireworks. Um, can't even conceive of the the consequence, although he he should have known at 15 that it was foolish to engage in that kind of frivolous activity at that location. So I'm not excusing him as being incapable. But to to look at the scope of all of this has to have be, to be uh, staggering to him now. A, a great object lesson for other young people. The wildfire affected Hood River, Multnomah counties, uh, but Oregon's juvenile code demands that legal proceedings take place in the county where the illegal act originally occurred. Friends of the Columbia Gorge Conservation Director Michael Lang issued the following statement uh, after the sentencing saying, the fire is out and the court has spoken. Now is the time to focus on the healing process. The Eagle Creek fire was tragic was a tragedy rather all around creating significant hardship for gorge communities and businesses placing firefighters and first responders in harm's way and scorching thousands of acres of pristine forest there's a long road ahead but the gorge is a resilient place this spring will be the key time in the healing and rebuilding process for the gorge and a lot of help will be needed from mobilizing volunteers to help stop invasive species from spreading in the burned areas to identifying funding to help the U.S. Forest Service and its partners in assessing and rebuilding trails and damaged uh, that were damaged by the fire. So uh, this is now resolved to the point that the person responsible for igniting the fire has been identified uh, and uh, will pay for his um, foolish actions. Meanwhile, headline news uh, today, a federal grand jury in the District of Columbia indicted 13 Russian nationals. Now, mind you, none of the 13 is here in the United States, but 13 Russian nationals and three Russian entities accused of interfering in U.S. elections. They're accused of having a strategic goal to sow discord in the U.S. political system, including the 2016 presidential election. The indictment was 37 pages long. It was signed by special counsel Robert Mueller. They are accused of spreading derogatory 
inflammatory information about Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton, denigrating Republican candidates Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, supporting Democratic candidate Bernie Sanders, and then Republican candidate Donald Trump. It says the uh, defendants spread derogatory information about various candidates throughout that campaign, uh, and by um, mid-2016, were supporting Trump's presidential campaign. The indictment said the defendants purchased political advertisements on social media in the name of U.S. persons and entities, which just goes to show you don't really know who you're hearing from or talking to unless you can confirm that. Uh, It also accuses them of staging political rallies inside the United States while posing as U.S. grassroots organizations. Now, according to the special counsel, the indictment charges uh, the defendants with conspiracy to defraud the United States, three defendants with conspiracy to commit wire fraud and uh, bank fraud, and five defendants with aggravated identity theft. Uh, The three entities uh, charged were Internet Research Agency, LLC, uh, Concord Management and Consulting, LLC, and Concord Catering. And then they list the names of the 13 who have been charged. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Sadly, coming up is the final segment of the Friday edition of the show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. And by the way, we'll let you know some of what's coming up next week on the program, so stick around for that. But I did want to uh, mention one other big headline news story from earlier today, and that is that Mitt Romney has uh, finally announced that he is uh, going to run for the U.S. Senate seat in Utah that will be vacated by his, uh, his old friend. Uh, Romney announced that he will run for U.S. Senate uh, to succeed the retiring Orrin Hatch, seeking a political comeback six years after his unsuccessful presidential campaign against then-President Barack Obama. Now, Romney announced on Twitter, I am running for United States Senate to serve the people of Utah and bring Utah's values to Washington. Romney, the 2012 Republican presidential nominee, is considered a heavy favorite for the Senate seat. He has emerged as a prominent critic of the of the current president. If he wins, he could, uh, could be poised to cause headache for the administration from the other side of Pennsylvania. Avenue. We'll see how likely that is if he succeeds. And while a former Massachusetts governor, Romney was deep, uh, rather has deep ties to Utah. He attended Brigham Young University in uh, Provo and helped uh, turn around the scandal-plagued 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, moving uh, to the state after losing the 2012 race. A video message posted on Twitter Friday features that uh, Olympics background in the video. Romney gives voters an early look at his platform, fiscal responsibility, job, and Uh, a moderate approach to immigration and apparent swipe at Trump policies. Utah has a lot to teach the politicians in Washington, Romney said in the video. Utah has balanced its budgets. Washington is buried in debt. Utah exports more abroad than it imports. Washington has that backwards. Utah welcomes legal immigrants from around the world. Washington sends immigrants a message of exclusion. The announcement was widely expected, though it was delayed after uh, the the mass shooting on Wednesday at the Florida High School. His Senate run hasn't uh, been welcomed by all. Utah Republican Party Chairman Rob Anderson told the Salt Lake City Tribune earlier this week that Romney was uh, keeping out candidates that I think would be a better fit for Utah because, uh, let's face it, Mitt Romney doesn't live here. His kids weren't born here. He doesn't shop here. The GOP official went on to call Romney a carpetbagger. Anderson released an apology later saying, I regret that my comments about potential senatorial candidate Mitt Romney came across as disparaging or unsupportive. Um, That was never my intent. Now, I find that fascinating 
that he uh, it wasn't supposed to sound unsupportive. What he said was, and let me just repeat, that he was keeping out candidates that I think would be a better fit for Utah because, let's face it, Romney doesn't live here. His kids weren't born here. He doesn't shop here. And he went on to call him a carpetbagger. But apparently in the apology, he says uh, this was uh, never intended to be disparaging or unsupportive. Apologies are really quite interesting to me because people will say things that they actually mean. And then when they're called on it or it doesn't fit whatever scenario they think ought to follow, and particularly in the context of politics, then they go back and apologize for having said what they actually meant as if they misunderstood their own words or that the words didn't mean what they actually, you know, for any rank and file person hearing them who's a English speaker would understand them to mean and was the original intent. And so the, the back pedal is always a bit awkward. You know, I didn't mean to be unsupportive. Okay, what was the point then of what, what you said? One wonders. Anyway, that's just an aside, an observation. Anyway, he continued, I have no doubt that Mitt Romney satisfies all qualifications to run for the Senate. And as the chairman of the Utah Republican Party, I will treat all candidates equally to ensure their path to the party's nomination is honest and fair. Now, this is a classic case of you are not free to speak your mind when you happen to hold a position that represents that reflects not only your thinking, but that of uh, the entire party. He's the chairman of the Republican Party in that state. So uh, if he's speaking for himself, it's often interpreted as being much uh, broader and in his capacity as a person of influence and how a campaign moves forward. Um, he le- left an impression that on, on second thought, on further reflection, he regretted having said and then pretended that what he originally said meant something entirely different uh, and that a plain reading of it was a misunderstanding. Ah, you got to love politics because nothing actually sticks. It goes back to Bill Clinton. It's a matter of what is is when something is plainly spoken and then you realize I shouldn't have said that. Then you just uh, argue that what was plain spoken and clear really was something entirely different. You just misinterpreted it. Anyway, um, Anderson also said that Romney reached out to him in regards to his comments and accepted my apology without hesitation, which would have been sufficient. I apologize. I shouldn't have said it. I'm just concerned that we have so many qualified candidates. I wanted to give them all an equal chance. That's all I needed to say. Not, oh, that's not what I meant. Well, of course, it was what he meant. Okay, I'm going on and on. Uh, Despite Romney's past Trump criticism, Democrats sought to uh, paint the two as ideologically aligned. Uh, There's some agreement on some things. Uh, The Democrats uh, said that while Mitt Romney desperately wants to separate himself from the extremism of the current president, the basic policies of Trump's uh, GOP, whether it's tax cuts for the rich or reversing the progress uh, of the Affordable Care Act, um, were uh, his before they were Donald Trump's. Well, again, there's going to be agreement on some things. Democratic National Committee Chair Spokesperson, um, uh, let's see, it's Vedant Patel uh, said in a statement, Utah deserves a senator who will expand opportunities and fight to improve the lives of everyone, not another multimillionaire looking out for himself, his rich neighbors and the special interests. Yada, yada, yada. You could pretty much I could have come up with that on my own, knowing precisely what was going to be said in the context of politics. I don't know. You're a little tired of the repetition, I suppose. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, Taking a quick glimpse of next week on the program, Monday. Monday is President's Day. It's a combination of the birthdays of President Washington and Lincoln. We don't have two separate days any longer. What I'm grateful for is certainly that we're celebrating their birthdays, but I get the day off. That's really what I'm grateful for. And while I will do um, what I can to spend a few moments considering the legacy of these two former presidents, I'm really looking forward to cleaning my bedroom. That's what I'm really, can I just be honest? I'm looking forward to cleaning my room. 
I got new sheets and a duvet cover. I bought a new duvet with a gift card that I got. I'm anxious to strip the whole thing down and put the new stuff on. That's President's Day for me. Although I'll take a few moments and reflect on both Washington and Lincoln. And of course, there are the President's Day sales that draw all of our attention once again to the President. Anyway, so I'm not going to be here on Monday. And when you think about the program, you can turn it on because there will be the best of the Georgine Rice show. A bit presumptuous, I realize. But anyway, you can hear um, some past interviews on the program. And think of me wrestling with a duvet in my bedroom. On Tuesday, Amy Simpson will be my guest. She's the author of Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, Finding Spiritual Freedom in an Imperfect World. And let's face it, we live in an imperfect world. And we will never be fully satisfied because we were made to reside here for a very short period of time. But we have a home that's actually ours that we're looking forward to where we will be completely satisfied. So we'll talk with Amy Simpson about that. And then on Wednesday, I'm so looking forward to a rare interview with Albert Moeller. His uh, latest book is The Prayer That Turned the World Upside Down, The Lord's Prayer, A Manifesto for Revolution. Now, you might read that uh, subtitle and imagine, well, this is some kind of a a, a political screed. No, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer uh, and the impact that it, it stands to have in the life of the believer. And when it's lived out in its fullness, it's understood and prayed the impact it can have in uh, much more significant ways than political. On Thursday, we're going to talk with Thadibi Aniabwili. Okay, I'll have to work on that because I have no idea what the correct pronunciation is. And despite the fact I asked James Glenn to get me a phonetic spelling of the name, this is as good as I can do today because I didn't get one. Anyway, that person will be my guest. I'm not sure if it's a male or a female. I'll know and understand uh, by Thursday when uh, when the guest is here. But the book is titled The Gospel for Muslims and Encouragement to Share Christ with Confidence. And my understanding is the author is a former Muslim and will share um, the testimony of their coming to faith in Christ and how we, in loving others, as we are called to do in the Great Commission, can do the same. And then on Friday of next week, assuming that um, we haven't burned the house down, referring to the country, uh, we'll lighten things up and take a look at the lighter side of the news. I had mentioned uh, yesterday that there's a special prayer vigil that's being called to pray for Luis Palau, and I would encourage you to uh, engage in that. Um, looking for my notes really quickly. Oh, I don't have it here. Anyway, uh, for this next week, they're calling all of us to fast and pray for the health of Luis Palau. I want to encourage you to make note of that. Okay, are we out of time, Clark? Is that what you're telling me? All right. Clark says we're out of time. Clark, by the way, is engineering today's program. Thanks, Clark. James Blind, although he's nowhere in sight, is the producer of today's program. And want to thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.